thank you everyone for being here uh, as part of Tricia's uh, ELL program. My name is Michael Fraud. I am the Assistant Program Director at Tricia. Uh, thrilled, to, thrilled to have you all here with us this morning. Uh, so the class that we're about to have is our next installment of Structure and Meaning in the High Holiday Liturgy with Rabbi David Silver. Uh, Rabbi Silver is the founder and dean of Drisha, uh, who received ordination from Rabbi Isaac Elhanan Theological Seminary at YU, is a recipient of Covenant Award, as well as the author of two books. Uh, we are thrilled to have this class with him this morning on structured meaning in the High Holy High Holiday Liturgy, which uh, runs for four weeks and splits its time between the motifs and themes of the texts of Rosh Hashanah, Malchiyot, Zichronot, and Shofrot, as well as on Kol Nidre and Vidui from Yom Kippur. Uh, so this morning, I believe Rabbi Silber said we are going to wrap up a few thoughts from last time about Zichronot and Shofrot before continuing on to the Yom Kippur liturgy. Um, we are thrilled to have you all here with us. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Rabbi Silver. Thank you very much. Um, I don't have any clock where I am, Michael. If you give me a, a, a 5 to 11, tell me it's 5 to 11, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. Something like that. Okay, I just wanted to continue what we did last week. We were looking at the core, core pieces of the Rosh Hashanah service which are Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. I think this year in particular, it's interesting because generally speaking in the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur davening, there's a lot of extras, there's a lot of piyutim, all kinds of piyutim, and a lot of uh, time is spent typically on the recitation of the piyutim, singing piyutim in most places. And this year, because of the pandemic, a lot of the uh, synagogues, a lot of the places of prayer are cutting out a fair amount, if not all of the piyutim, because we need a shorter davening. And the downside is clear. The upside of that is that actually, it allows us to focus on what is central to the davening. Very often on Rosh Hashanah, we, Nisana Tokef and the other piyutim, where we get to Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot, very often the chazan sort of runs through it. And actually, that's strange because Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot, those uh, texts, they are the core text of Rosh Hashanah. Um, the other stuff is as beautiful as it may be, and it can enhance the service, but uh, from a uh, classical standpoint, it's very secondary. And this year, most of it probably will get cut out in most places. So it's an opportunity for us to refocus our attention on what is core. Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofro, those three intermediate blessings of the Muslim service, and the Shofro that is attendant upon it. After each of these sections, we are sounding the Shofro. So we spent a fair amount of time on Malchiot and Zichronot, but I did want to add a few points about Zichronot. The way it works, as you must recall, is that these three blessings essentially consist of two parts. The first are statements, and the last piece of it is a, is a request. That's true of all three. Second point is that they consist largely of biblical verses, three, 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 and one. The first nine are related to the statements, and the tenth verse from the Torah is related to the request. In the second and third blessings of Zechronot and Shofrot, it actually is in the middle of the request. In Malchiot, the 10th verse immediately precedes the request, Shema Yisrael. I discuss why that might possibly be the case. So with essentially in Rosh Hashanah, we are reading biblical verses. The, Zichron, the Malchiot, Zechronot, and Shofrot. It's interesting that I think that they are three distinct blessings, but sort of one, I think, leads into the other. So, for example, the blessing of Malchiot ends with the bracha, Hashem Blessed be O God, King of the Earth, Bekadesh Yisrael Zikaron, sanctifies Israel in the day of Zikaron, the day of remembrance. The liturgy refers to Rosh Hashanah as Yom HaZikaron. And the next words 
you jump right into what is God remembering? And what God remembers in the Zichronot, which in my view is the key blessing of Rosh Hashanah, what God remembers is what people did and what people do. Um, and that's all about judgment. Judgment of the individual, judgment of the communities, the nations. And God is remembering, God is judging, and God knows everything. There is no, there is no forgetfulness. There's no forgetfulness. So everything we do and think, aspire to, rationalize, whatever it is, is known. So we stand before an all-knowing judge. And the text recalls, as you remember from last week, the story of, 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 of uh, the Garden of Eden, the story of Adam, the first sin. And based on the Midrash, that the day of the sin was the first day of creation. And the day of the first day of creation was the trial and the punishment. So the first day of creation of the human being is a day of judgment, and that's Adam. And it sounds like a pretty hopeless case. We enter into the judgment before an all-knowing judge. That verse, I wanted to come back to that verse for a moment, because that's a verse that appears in several different places on Rosh Hashanah. The... Um, verse I'm referring to from the, the line from the liturgy is Zehayom Tchilat Ma'asecha in the Zichronot uh, prayer. This is the first day of creation. It means the sixth day of creation. The day of the creation of the human. Zikaron Liyom Rishon, a remembrance of that first day. Kichok Yisrael Hu Mishpat Yaakov It is indeed a statue for Israel, an ordinance for the God of Jacob. So the second half of that line in the liturgy, is actually the second half of a verse that we say several times on Rosh Hashanah. The verse is also found later in the Shofrot section of Rosh Hashanah. Sound the shofar at the new moon, Kesa is a strange word, appears twice in the Bible. Bakesa Yom Chagenu, at the Kesa, the time of our Chag, of our festival. And the verse continues, So the rabbinic, the Talmudic understanding of the verse is that sound the shofar on Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Chodesh. Bakes is understood rabbinically in the Talmud as on the day that the moon, the festival in which the moon is hidden. So the festival that the moon is hidden is Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is building a, it's a sliver of a moon. Can't see the moon. So that's parallel to the first part of Tikkun B'Chodesh Shofar. And this day, this Rosh Chodesh festival, which is Rosh Hashanah, is a day of chok and mishpat. It's a day of judgment. That's the rabbinic understanding of the verse. I don't believe that's what the verse, the more, the more plausible reading of the verse, I think is something else, but that is the Talmudic readings. Over here, that's how it's understood. That this day of Rosh Hashanah, first day of, El, the first day of Tishrei, was from the beginning of time, a day of judgment. And we enter into the chok and mishpat, we Israel enter into this day of judgment. That's the beginning of Zichronot. Perhaps at the end, I'll make a comment about what I think the plain meaning of the text is, because the verse comes up later in the Shofrot section. In any event, that's how it begins. Sounds pretty hopeless. The judge knows everything. What could we say? But then we move to the second theme of the Zichronot, which is, and this is it, we introduce a new person over here, and this I mentioned last week, Ashri Yishua Happy is the one who does not forget God. Happy is the one who strengthens in God, Yadam Etzbach. Ki Dorshecha, those who seek out God, Dorshecha. Midrosh is to seek out. They won't stumble. And then the, the text continues, Ki Zecher Kol HaMaasim Lefanecha Ba, Fiatot Doresh Masei Kulam, the actions of people come before you, 
Here's a wonderful play on words on Doresh, which Rosh can mean to examine, like a judgment. Drisha v'chakira, the judges examine, but Doresh can mean can seek. So here it has a double meaning. God is, God is a judge, an objective judge, there's no hope. However, for some people, God is Doresh, God seeks them out. Who, whom does God seek? The people who are seeking God, Doreshecha, Drisha. If you if you if you if you one involved with Drisha, then God will seek you out in the positive sense. I didn't write this myself. This is the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, and then we choose an example of a person that God sought out, because that person sought out God, and that's Noah. We got Noah via Noah represents for the liturgy. We would say the, the idea of providence or hashkacha in Hebrew. The world's destroyed, but there's one person that God protects, that person, that person's family, etc. And we begin to cite verses from the Torah. Remember that on Rosh Hashanah, the service consists of biblical verses, and the first three are always from the Torah. So we cite a verse about Noah. That's the first verse we cite in Zichronot. And the verse is, uh, and the verse is cited from Breshit, by Yiskar Elohim at Noah, and God caused them a wind to cross upon the earth, and the waters of the flood were still. Uh, that's the first verse. But we need three verses from the Torah. So now we have two additional verses in Zichronot which have nothing to do with Noah. And there's actually no introduction to these two verses either. Verse one is about Noah. God caused the Ruach to cross apart and, and the waters were stilled. The reader of the verse remembers, of course, how the Torah begins. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And there was darkness over the face of the, of the waters. But the wind, or perhaps the Spirit of God, hovered above the waters. The Spirit of God, the Ruach, that introduces creation. And the story of the flood is the uncreation. And now Noah is a new creation. So God is recreating the world. That's the first verse. And God is remembering. Every verse has the word to remember. But the next two verses don't speak of Noah at all. Rather, the next two verses speak about the patriarchs. And it is written, by God heard the cries of Israel in Egypt. And God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the third verse, from the book of Ayikra, which talks about the exile, the Tochacha, but even in exile, God will remember us. And the name of Zacharti at Priti Yaakov, I remember my covenant with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, even in exile, and I will remember the land, and the context is, even in exile, there's a promise to bring Israel back to the land. That's a verse that appears also on Yom Kippur and in the Slichot service. Verse number two and three are not about Noah, they're about the patriarchs. But they, and they have something in common, actually, with, with each other, which is that verse number two talks about Israel and Egypt, Israel and exile, and talks about the return from exile as to some extent a function of God remembering the covenant. So memory is tied in with covenant. And the same thing is true in the book, in the story in Vayikra, where the land is spitting us out because of our misbehaviors. But even in exile, God has not rejected us. And under certain conditions, God will bring us back. I have not rejected them. And part of the non-rejection, part of it has to do with remembering the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The context over there also mentions confession. But confession fundamentally is a Yom Kippur theme. And that's, but here we're focusing on the memory. So in each of these cases, we are brought back to some extent it's based on the uh the covenant 
So covenant, so now we come to a third theme, the theme of covenant, which is the primary theme in Zichronot. And that's in fact how Zichronot ends. The blessing at the very end of Zichronot, Baruch HaTo Hashem Zocher Habrit, God, blessed are you, O Lord, Zocher Habrit, who remembers the covenant. So these are the three verses from, from the Torah. Then the way these Rosh Hashanah service works, the next three verses are from the, the, the sacred writings called Kituvim and the verses from Kituvim were all from the Psalms. And here's something very curious about the choice of verses from the Psalms. Psalms are called Divrei Karchicha on the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. Your, 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 your holy writings, your holy words, Divrei Karchicha. Divrei Karchicha, and we have three verses. It's actually very strange. The first verse is, the first two verses are two verses from Psalm 111, one after the next. That's actually very strange. My, my impulse was always to think something strange here because there's so many verses in the Psalms about memory. Why would you pick two verses that are back to back and count them as two? But that's what we have. The first verse is Chanun Zecher Asal Nifuyotav Chanun Vrachum Hashem. That's also a strange verse for a different reason. Zecher Asal Nifuyotav Chanun Vrachum Hashem. God had God made God's wonders to be remembered. Doesn't talk about God remembering. This plain meaning of the verse is that what God does is remembered. So it's strange for that reason. Strange, strange choice. But Zechar and Nifiyotav, we use one of the psukim of Zichronot, of memory. And the next verse, which is the following verse, Benemar, and it's written, Teref Natanvi Rayav, Brito. God is feeding those that fear God. God will remember God's covenant. And the third verse, Benemar by Yiskoahem Brito, from Psalm 106. God remembered God's covenant. And God had God relented in his in God's abundant kindness. So I was thinking that these three verses from intermediate verses from the Psalms are very interesting. The first verse talks about God as being Chanun Vrachum. Now Chanun Vrachum or sometimes it's Rachum v'chanun. Those are two descriptions of God that are absolutely central to the Yom Kippur service. The Yom Kippur service consists of three main elements, one of which is called Srichot, the request for forgiveness. And the Srichot fundamentally are the, are the statement that God makes describing God Hashem, Hashem, El Rachum v'Chanun, Erech Apayim v'Rav Chesed v'Yemet. So Chanun v'Rachum, Rachum v'Chanun, that's a fundamental Yom Kippur theme. And it's interesting that the verse that's cited here, which mentions the word Zecher, but the word Zecher is actually very strange. It's a remembrance of the act as opposed to God remembering. But the verse has the additional benefit, and I wonder if that was not the reason, reason it was chosen to slip into Rosh Hashanah, the idea of God as a rachum v'chanun. And of course, even though Rosh Hashanah is not directly a day of forgiveness, there are no slichot on Rosh Hashanah, there are no confessions on Rosh Hashanah, that's for Yom Kippur, but there is a sense that we, we feel we begin to repent because we suddenly see ourselves standing before the all-knowing judge. You have to some way appeal to the judge. And we appeal to the judge's compassion and graciousness. So the verse, that's the first verse that's cited. And the next verse talks about covenant. And the third verse also re recalls the covenant and also talks about God's graciousness or kindness, chesed, 
So those are the middle verses, the three verses from the Kituvim. And then we move to the next three verses, which are verses from the prophetic writings. Torah Ketuvim Nevi'im on Rosh Hashanah. We discussed this a bit. We want the Nevi'im to be at the end. The Nevi'im are the prophetic writings of, are writings of consolation, encouragement and consolation. And we have here three verses. The first verse, Kol Amar Hashem, Socharti Lo Chesem Yurayich, Avat Kulotayich, the verse from Yumiyahu, God is remembering the kindnesses of our youth. When we followed God into the desert, God remembers that. That's the first verse. And the second verse from Yechezkel, I will recall the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. I will establish a permanent covenant. And the third verse from Yirmiyahu, Aben Yakiri Ephraim is Ephraim, a, a, a Ben Yakir, dear child to me. Yelad Shashuim, a little child that I play with. Kimidei Dabribo, even as I speak about him. Or perhaps it means even if I speak against him. Ludaber Bo in biblical Hebrew can mean to talk about or it can mean to criticize. They spoke bi Moshe against Moshe. So this verse could mean, even as I'm just talking, Zohar as I remember, it means even when I'm criticizing, Ephraim is the wayward child, often in the prophetic writings. But nonetheless, I still remember this, this child as a little baby. Alkain Hamu may I roll, I yearn for him. Rachema Rachamenu Mashem, I will certainly have mercy on him, says God. These are the three prophetic verses from the prophets, Yermio, and then Yechezkel, and again Yermio at the end. Funny, Yermio here is the prophet of consolation. And it's interesting that these verses actually, again, talk about, they first do talk about youth. A nar, and the third verse talks about a, a baby, Yelad Shashui. It's almost as if God is looking back into our past to find something good. So first God goes back to our youth. We were very young, idealistic and young. Sometimes in the, in the, in the youth was problematic, and God is going to go back to the actual infancy. So this is, it's interesting that these three verses, I would say that these verses for many people is the highlight of the Rosh Hashanah service. Aben Yakiri Ephraim. Zichronot, I believe, is the core blessing of Rosh Hashanah. God is a Zohar, it's Yom HaZikaron. It's a day of judgment. But the trick in this, uh, in this section is to convert the judgment into something else. And what allows it to be converted is first the idea of Providence, special treatment to those who seek out God, for those who don't forget. God doesn't forget them. But at, at its core, what the blessing is about, and the key word of the Zichronot service, clearly is the word Brit. There is a covenantal relationship. And it's actually very interesting that the third verse is also, Haben Yakiri Ephraim, is also the Haftorah for Rosh Hashanah, for the second day Rosh Hashanah. The first day Rosh Hashanah, the Haftorah, is the story of Hannah. The second day Rosh Hashanah is the, essentially the focus is on the person of, of, of Rachel, Rachel. Rachel Mavaka'a And the last verse of the Haftorah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, is in fact this verse. Aben Yakiri Ephraim. I mention that because in the Gemara, Actually, the Talmud speaks about what do you read on Rosh Hashanah, and the Talmud says you read Vashem Pokanet Sarah from the Torah and Chanah. And now that we have two days Rosh Hashanah, because the Torah only has one day Rosh Hashanah, 
Now that we have two days, Rosh Hashanah, on the second day we read the Akedah, and the Haftorah is from Yirmiyol, Ben Yaakov Yefrayim. What is very striking to me is that in this section of the service, the core blessing of Rosh Hashanah, Zichronot, Socher Abrit, the ninth verse, the last verse of the statement verses, is the Haftorah of the second day, and the concluding request, we ask God to remember us fondly. God remembers everything. But remember us told. Remember, remember the good things. And again, we recall, recall us with, with, with the remembrance of salvation and mercies. And remember, O Lord, the covenant and the kindness, the brit and the chesed. And remember the oath that you took, God, to Abraham. You promised Abraham and not Moriah. Remember that promise you made, that you will, because of the Akedah, you will bless Abraham's descendants. So we ask God to remember very specific things. Brit and Chesed. Brit and Chesed are found in the previous biblical verses that we cited, both from the Psalms and also from the prophetic writings. From the Psalms, it says, Yisko Riolam Brito, and the next is Fenemar, so the song verse, the last of the song verses mentions Brit and Chesed. The first verse from the prophetic Ryan, talks about Chesed. The next verse is mentions covenant. So now in the request section, we have the petition to God to remember us for good. We remind God of the covenant and of the chesed and also the oath. The oath that you took, that you made to Abraham at Haram Moriah, and more than that, to recall the binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac is this specific event that we recall in the petition section of the central blessing of Rosh Hashanah. And the binding of Isaac is the reading for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, according to the Talmud. When you have a second day, you read the Akedah. I find this very interesting that the liturgy is, is uh, recalling the Haftorah of the second day in the last verse of the statements and recalls the Torah reading of the second day uh, in the petition. You have to wonder about that. Why the second day's readings, which the Talmud says, now that we have a second day, we read this, but this seems to be very central and primary to the core liturgy of Rosh Hashanah. So remember, the, please remember the, the, the uh, covenant, the relationship, and that you act kindly to us, you're a kind God. But also you made a promise. Remember, you have to keep your promise. Remember the oath that you took when in the story of the binding of Isaac. And not just the oath that you took, but the text continues, the Remember the fact that Abraham overcame his mercies to do your will with a full heart. So too, should your mercies overcome your anger. So it's interesting, we ask God, we say the same way Abraham overcame his kindness, his merciful nature, we like you, your kindness is to overcome your anger. And I think what that speaks to 
And I don't know if it's specifically a Rosh Hashanah theme or more general theological statement. Because what it seems to be saying is Abraham's basic nature was to be compassionate. That's his basic nature. But he was able to overcome his basic nature to do your will. The, I will say that the text of our liturgy has no problem with Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. And furthermore, I believe an intelligent reading of the Torah says exactly the same thing, whatever problems we may have. There is not a shred of evidence in the Chumash that the Chumash sees Abraham's compliance or willingness to comply with God's directive as problematic in any way. I'm not saying many people don't see it as problematic. Many people do see it as problematic. However, we approach that, but the Torah doesn't see it as problematic. There's not a shred of evidence that the Torah sees it as problematic at all. But my point over here is that Abraham's basic nature is to be compassionate. That's his basic attributes, chesed. That's not God's basic attribute. God's basic attribute is something very different here in this text and elsewhere. The seal of God is truth. Is a phrase that we encounter in several places, and it's clearly the meaning over here. Fundamentally, God is about truth. On the other hand, God has attributes of mercy. So we ask God, the same way Abraham overcame his basic nature, to do your will with a full heart. So we ask you, because you certainly remember the binding of Isaac and the promise you made and the oath that you took. So, yeah, so you should overcome your basic nature. Overcome your basic nature of truth and employ your mercies. Let me just digress here for a minute because actually when we, the initial intention was to spend the entire time on Yom Kippur this week and next week, but I didn't want to leave Rosh Hashanah in the lurch and there's a lot more to say about Rosh Hashanah. But let me say something briefly about Yom Kippur in this context. The story of Yom Kippur is about forgiveness. The biblical story, the primary biblical story that the Yom Kippur service recalls for us, there are actually two biblical narratives, two biblical texts that Yom Kippur recalls. One, of course, is the service of the high priest, the Avoda. That's one story. And we actually, on Yom Kippur, reenact it. Not just say it, we reenact it. That's one story, that's one narrative, one text. But the other one, and the primary one, I think, on Yom Kippur, what lies behind the Yom Kippur day, is the story of the golden calf. We're constantly recalling the story of the golden calf. And when God taught Moses after the golden calf, when Moshe prays for the people, Moshe tries to reconcile the people. And we, on Yom Kippur, and during the entire Srichot service, God is the king who sits, but the throne on which God sits is the throne of mercy. The God of Yom Kippur is a king, a melech, same as Rosh Hashanah, but a different kind of king. The throne is the throne of Kisei Rachamim. And I simply want to mention briefly that in the story of the golden calf, which appears in the book of Exodus, there's a different version in Dvarim. Deuteronomy has a different version, but in, in Exodus, Moses is on the mountain, and God says to Moses, your people have made a golden calf. Your people have made a golden calf, go down. In fact, I will, I'll destroy them and make you a nation. And Moshe entreats God at that point. And Moshe says, you can't do that. Because uh, they, they, they're, they're your people, not my people. And remember the promise that you made, the oath you took to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God relents, by Nachim Hashem, and God relented of the evil God had thought to do to God's people. And Moses goes down the mountain, and he sees with his own eyes what's going on, dancing around the golden calf, and Moses breaks the tablets. And the story of the golden calf is actually not about whether Israel will survive or not, because God promises Moses on the mountain that Israel will survive. The issue is. The issue is the nature of the relationship. And God said to Moshe, I'm going to send my angel. 
Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to send my angel with you. I can't go with you, lest I destroy you on the way. We're going to fight because they're stubborn. They're I'm going to destroy them. So best I not go with them. I'll send my angel. Pay heed to the angel. You'll drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. You'll have a land of milk and honey. But I'm not going with you. And that translates into for Yom Kippur. I'm not going with you means there will be no, there'll be no Mishkan. And there can't be a Mishkan. Because Moses has broken the tablets, which, which are the work of God. The architects can build everything in the Mishkan, but Sarah and his crew, they can do everything, except for one thing. They can't build the tablets. The tablets are the writing of God, the work of God. Moses broke those tablets. They can't be a Mishkan. So I'm not going to go with you, no Mishkan, but everything else is going to be just fine. So Moshe the, tells the people, and they're very upset. People go into mourning, and from that point on is the attempt to bring God back into the inside, into the people, to allow God to help us build a Mishkan. That's what that story is about, one of the great narratives of the Bible, without question. And what's interesting is, at the end of the day, Moshe succeeds in reconciling God and the people. When the people heard the news, they took off their jewelry and they mourned, and they're yearning for God. And Moses is taught, God finally appears to Moses, and God said to Moshe, God passed by Moshe, by Yavor Hashem Panav, and cried out, Hashem Hashem Erachum V'chanun. Shemot chapter 34. And when Moses hears God's self-description, Rachum V'chanun, Moshe hurries up, bows down, and says, God, God, if I find favor in your eyes, Yelech no Hashem walk amongst us. Ki am for they are stiff-necked people. And you will forgive our sins and take us as your inheritance. So the question that the commentaries all raise, implicitly and explicitly is, that was the reason God said earlier, I can't go with the people. I can't go with you. You are a stubborn people, lest I consume you on the way. So what does Moses turn to God and saying, walk in our midst, so some interpret, some of the translations you'll see say, despite the fact that, despite the fact means, yes, we're aware of the problem. Nonetheless, we're willing to take the risk. We'll try to work it out. Key can sometimes mean however or despite. That's one path. But the others say, no, key means because. That's my own inclination as well. Because they are stiff-necked. What do you mean because they're stiff-necked? But God said earlier, that's why I can't go with them. But what Moses is saying is something else. What Moses is saying is if you go with them in, in your fullness, if you go with them in all your aspects, and of course you're right, then you will destroy us. If you go as, with your basic attribute, which is truth, emet, if you go with emet, well, there's no hope. And therefore, I don't want you to go with truth. I want you to go with the other attributes. In fact, in, this, in the Yud Gimel Midot, in its initial telling, Hashem Hashem Rachum V'chanun, Erech HaPayim V'Rav Chesed V'Emet, Emet does not mean truth. Emet means true chesed. And chesed ve'emet does not mean truth. Chesed ve'emet, and you can see this for yourselves in the book of Genesis, it appears several times, chasdo v'amito, does not mean kindness and truth. It means true kindness. See, it's a description of the, of the Hebrew Kadisha, you know? Chesed shalemis, true kindness. Can't, the person who died can't, can't repay you. Chesed shalemis. If you go in your fullness, you'll destroy us. God, you have to self-limit. That's the concession you have to. And then the Mishkan becomes the source of the source of forgiveness. The high priest on Yom Kippur purifies the Mishkan. That's the main thing the high priest is doing. Also forgives the people's sins. That's secondary. 
the main Torah reading of Yom Kippur is about purifying the temple. Because the temple is the vehicle which allows for, for forgiveness. I mentioned all this. First of all, I said I talked about Yom Kippur today, so I want to fulfill my obligation. But the other point is, that's exactly what you have in the blessing over here. God, we try to overcome your basic nature. Your basic nature is, is honesty and integrity. That's your basic nature. You're a God of emes. You're a God of truth. But we can't live with the truth. We need a different kind of truth, a truth that takes into account the human condition. We need the truth of the book of Jonah, which deals with the human, human beings as we are. We're all flawed and broken. Hopefully we're trying to do our best. We, we, we have aspirations to be good. So that's what we call upon here at the Akedah. And the same way Abraham overcame his nature to do, to do what he thought you wanted, even though it becomes clear, it was only a test, as it says in the first verse. Abraham doesn't know that. He's willing to carry out God's will. Maybe he believes it all works out for the best. That's a different question. I'm teaching the Akedah on Tuesdays. But in any event, that's the request over here. And now we, we quote the, the last, the 10th verse is always from the Torah. As it is written, I will remember Brit Rishonim, the covenant of old. I'll remember the covenant that I made with them. I will say when I took them out of the land of Egypt. This goes back to one of the earlier verses that the reason God takes us out of Egypt is partially because, because God sympathizes with our predicament, but it's also because God has made a promise. A promise to Abraham, a promise to the patriarchs and the matriarchs, the book of Genesis passed down from generation to generation, and God remembered that promise. So we ask God to keep remembering God's promises. And we say, It's a remarkable blessing. For God, you remember everything that is forgotten. That's what we said in the beginning of the blessing that God remembers everything, to which the only proper response would be, Oy vey. God remembers everything. Nothing is forgotten. We like to forget a lot of things. But God doesn't forget anything. So it's fairly hopeless. And now we're saying, now we're turning everything on its head. So, you remember all forgotten things. And before your throne of glory, there is no forgetfulness. So God, if you remember everything, you most certainly remember the oath that you took at the Akedah. So remember that, perhaps more than anything else. So that's the way the blessing begins. You, you, you're capable of, you know everything. But please remember those things that for us will be told. And remember to keep your promises, your oath. Blessed are you, O God, who remembers the covenant. So the idea of Zohar Habrit, this is the central blessing of Rosh Hashanah, it ends with Zohar Habrit. And if we ask who represents the covenant, it is the patriarchs, yes, but specifically Abraham. Abraham is the hero, actually, of the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah. And the Akedah specifically is, is, uh, is remembered by us, and we ask God to remember the Akedah as well. So you have the structure of the Zichronot, is very interesting. It's Adam, representing judgment. It's the recreation of Noah, who represents providence. And then we move to Abraham, who represents, who represents covenant. Covenant was made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and passed on through the generations. And we cite God's remembering the covenant in the past. And we want God to keep remembering the covenant in the present. On other occasions, I've given a shear about the following point, which I can't get into now. But Rosh Hashanah is seen as a day which we call creation. In the Midrash, Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation. The world is created on the 25th day of Elul, 
and the first of Tishrei is the creation of the human being. So actually, when you think about it, it's what it says in Berkei Avot, there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and 10 generations from Noah to Abraham, that essentially, the way the Torah tells its story is the creation of the, of the world, chapter one, is the creation of the Garden of Eden, chapters two and three, the world is destroyed by the flood, and the human being is banished from the Garden of Eden. And what happens next in the Torah is, are two things. First of all, the world is recreated, and the person who represents the recreated world is Noah. But Noah doesn't recreate the Garden of Eden story. That is to say, Noah does not discover an alternative to the Garden of Eden, an alternative sacred space. That task is given to Abraham, and in two different ways. Abraham in chapter 12 of Lechucha, and Abraham in chapter 22 of the Akedah of Lechucha. The first is, is to enter into God's sacred space, the land of Canaan, and the second Lechucha, and the last communication, is the sacred space within the sacred space, and those are not Eden. They never go back to Eden, but those are the alternatives to Eden. So one might say that the creation story of Genesis spans its first 22 chapters. There's Adam, there's Noah, and there's Abraham. There's the creation and the recreation. And what Abraham represents is uncovering or discovering sacred space, which is the alternative to Eden. So the author of these, these blessings and the central blessing being stiff or note uses that model of Adam, Noah, and Abraham. And it's a very good model for Rosh Hashanah. Because as we say on Rosh Hashanah, after we blow the shofar, Hayom Harat Olam. Today is the day which represents the creation of the world, conception of the world. And the world is created in Genesis over the course through Adam, Noah, and Abraham. And the author of this glorious prayer sees a certain attribute of God in each of these three people. In Adam, it sees the judgment, which is the seal of truth. In Noah, it sees God as understanding that through good people who seek out God, God will seek them out as well. And finally, there's covenant. Noah can only work if you're a tzaddik. If you're a righteous person, you can look to Noah. But what about the rest of us? some of whom are not necessarily so righteous. Then we talk about covenant. I think covenant can be understood in different ways. The way I prefer to understand it is not just be nice to me because my great-grandfather was a tzaddik. Uh, sometimes we have to fall back on that. But I prefer to see it a little differently, that we aspire to walk Abraham's walk. The covenant in the Torah, actually, when God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 about your future generations will suffer, they'll be enslaved and shall return to the land. And one of the fulfillments of that covenantal promise is the story of the exodus from Egypt, the slavery in Egypt, the abuse in Egypt, the being the stranger, the foreigner, the other, and the march towards the land and eventually beginning to possess the land in the Torah, story of Sichon. And Abraham himself and Sarah, maybe more Sarah than Abraham together, that's their story. In Genesis chapter 12, they go down to Egypt, maybe mistakenly, Sarah is taken and abused. They're strangers in a strange land. Chapter 14 is a symbolic conquest of the land of Canaan by Abraham, who endeavors to save his nephew and saves other people as well. Abraham's life has been a descent to Egypt and a conquest symbolic of the land. In the future, those who walk your walk, Abraham, will have a similar process. All part of the same process of covenant. Part of it is the suffering. And then the fourth generation shall return to the land. So it's all about walking Abraham's walk. We all can't necessarily walk his walk the way he walked it. But we aspire at least to be on the same path. And we call out to God to, uh, to see us as covenantal partners. As long as we are willing and aspire 
to walk that walk, wherever we may find ourselves, all in different places, we, we minimally aspire to be like Abraham in these ways. And as long as we aspire to be Abraham in these ways, we see ourselves in, included in the covenant. And we ask God, therefore, to remember God's obligations that God took upon God. When God swore the Akedah, the Binishvati Yutnum Hashem, Harbar I will increase your descendants like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. So God made all kinds of promises and God forgets nothing. So we ask God specifically to remember the Akedah for those who see ourselves as part of this covenant. I wanted to make, how much more time do I have, Michael? Yeah, we have, uh, we have about five minutes left. Five minutes, okay. Um, yeah, and I, I also- say one and, last thing, I'll take some comments or questions. Make one, okay. one last point about the structure of these three, these three blessings. I'll tell you the truth, I've seen a lot more the last couple of weeks in these three blessings than I saw before. So I'm very focused on them now. Uh, there are no Piyutin this year, so basically very few. So it's a good opportunity to look more carefully at these, uh, at these particular sections. And since I'm giving a lot of classes about them, actually, I've had to look at them very carefully. One last point about the relationship between Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. There is a literary link between them. I mentioned one before, I mentioned another one. The blessing, the intermediate blessing, Zichronot, ends with Socher Habrit. Remembers, God remembers the covenant. The next section is called Shofarot. It talks about the Shofar, which in the service of Rosh Hashanah refers to Revelation. And the first three verses from the Torah that are cited, all three, describe the receiving of the Torah. The receiving of the Torah, apart from the experience, of course we know the tablets that Moses broke, tablets of the covenant. The receiving of the Torah is a covenant. It's a two-sided agreement that God spelled out very clearly, and we accepted it. We said Naseh, we said Naseh Benishma, we accept it. So it's interesting. We end the second blessing with God remembering the covenant, and we immediately, in the next verses, in the context of the shofar, the sounding of the shofar, talk about Sinai and talk about the Torah, when God came down to teach us Torah and to instruct us about obligation. So there are interesting literary links uh, between the different sections. Shofrot's a whole other sheer. So I'll stop at this point and comments or questions, please. I just want to know, we got one great comment earlier in the chat from Seaman Hertzberg uh, going back to the language of Ki Am Oref, uh, just noting that it's the same, Moshe's using the same rationalization as Hashem used uh, in, in Hashem's reasoning for destroying the world with Noah, as well as promising not to do so again. Um, Hashem there uses the word Yetzer HaAdam Rami Nurav, and here Kiyam Orifem, and and the connections between those. Uh, so I just wanted to to mention that as as yes, uh, I, connected to some of what you were saying earlier as well. Right, it's um, connected, and actually, it is connected, and also Yetzer HaAdam Rami Nurav is interesting. I had some, I was thinking about talking about that, but I didn't have the time to get into it. That's the verse that God, that's what God says after God smells the sacrifice that Noah brings in the new world. It's a different world. We, we don't, God doesn't expect perfection. That's the point of that. It's very, in this new world in which the human being is the partner in the, in the, in the creation of the world. The initial creation is completely God creates. But in the new world, the human being is a partner in creation. The human being is, is governing the world. The seven Noahide commandments, Noah's instructed. And God has therefore, because the world is a partially a human product, God's expectations are, are, are much more limited. God does not, the world doesn't become tainted every time a crime happens, as it is in chapter one, because we start off with a very imperfect world. And that's, I think, very, very important. It's part of God's willingness to accept what in fact is, but accepting what is doesn't mean we don't try to improve. The hero of Rosh Hashanah is a, in the liturgy is Abraham. In the readings, it's, it's the women. It's Sarah, it's Hannah, who's very central, and Rachel. 
I would say Chana is really central to Rosh Hashanah. The hero of Yom Kippur is, uh, is basically Moshe, the story of the golden calf. And Moshe's Midah, Moshe in, 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 the, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Kabbalah, Moshe's attribute is that of Netzach, eternity, or, or one might say overcoming. Moses is a person who believes people can always be better. Aaron, his counterpart, is different. Aaron's much more accepting of the human condition. Moses comes down the mountain and says, what, was, what happened here with the golden calf? You know the way the people are. That's Aaron's answer. And there's a lot of truth in that. He's trying to stall them. He's trying to delay. This is the way they are. And Moshe doesn't accept that. Moshe believes maybe it's the way they are, but they can be better. And I don't accept the way they are. That's a different way to see the world. So it is true that God's expectations are limited. However, within that framework, there's plenty of room for improvement. And I think that's what Yom Kippur and to some extent Rosh Hashanah is all about. Yes. Anybody else? In a couple more minutes. Yeah. Uh, the Gavora and uh, debates the order of the and Schweikbrights. And uh, I don't recall exactly the reasoning why it chooses this particular order. Could you comment on that in terms of yes. what you had discussed? Yes, I don't remember debating the order of them. There, is a, there were two other debates about Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot as to when, as to when you say Malchiot. That's true. And I talked about that last week and a couple of weeks ago. There's one view that Malchiot is recited in the third blessing. The fourth blessing only has Dushat Hayom and Sichmot and Shofrot are five and six. And the other is what we do is that Malchiot is four, Sichmot is five and Shofrot is six. But there is no dispute to the best of my knowledge about Malchiot being first, Sichmot second, Shofrot third, it's a drasha on the pasuk in the Chumash, on the Hashem and then Zichron, Zichron Trua. But the thinking of it, I think, is very simple. The basic idea of the day is that God is king. I spoke about that. God is king. What does this king do? So to be a king means, means, means among other things, to judge. In the, in the Bible, in the book of Shmuel, the people say we want a king to fight our wars and, and to be our judge. So the king is a judge, and then the king in Shofrot is the king who is a teacher, who, who, who interfaces and interacts with the world, who gives the Torah, who gives instruction. So maybe that's part of being a judge as well, is to give instruction about how to behave. The judge is there to see whether or not we are behaving. But the idea of revelation, the idea of God inter interacting with the world, uh, and, and that, that's basically Shofrot. So that's, that's, that's actually the order to it. The king who is a judge and the king who is not simply transcendent, that is the order. It's interesting, by the way, that, I, that in the third blessing, where we have the very beautiful uh, poem, Uvechein Tein Pachtecha, and I pointed out Uvechein refers to an earlier verse, and I suggested that it's from the Torah. Hashem Yimroch Yolam Ba'ev. I can't get into that in that. The second verse is Yimroch Hashem Yolam, which is from the Psalms. And the last verse is from the prophets. It's exactly the order of Torah, prophets, Psalms. And the last verse is, as it is written, And what's interesting about that third verse is that it doesn't say the word Melech. If these, in fact, are the Malchiot of Yochanan ben Nuri, it's striking that it doesn't say the word Melech. It doesn't say the word Melech, but it does actually talk about judging. God is one who does Tzedakah or Mishpat. That's exactly what a king is supposed to do. And that would lead in probably to the next section of Zichronot, which we don't have in Zichronot. We have our Zichronot. So there is, a, that's what I was saying today, there is an order to the three blessings, but the order is pretty much agreed upon. There's no disagreement about the order, just about the placement. Thank you. Michael? Right. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. So thank you very much, 
Rabbi Silber for um, this really fantastic class. Thank you folks for, for your questions and participation. Uh, this if they class, have other questions, they can email and they send me an email, I'll try to respond. Fantastic. Uh, okay, so right. Anyone who's got additional questions should feel free to reach out to Rabbi Silber. Uh, that email is dsilber at drisha.org. Uh, in the meantime, if folks are interested in uh, finding out more about some of our upcoming classes for Elul, you can do so by going to drisha.org slash classes. I just put that link in the chat as well. Uh, this class will be back here again next Sunday at 10 a.m. to continue the conversation. And uh, thank you again, everyone, so much for being here. We have the Israel classes uh, too. Yes, uh, we should be sending out information about that shortly, uh, but our, our Israel program, our, in, in our Elul program in Israel, which is a full-time uh, three-week program uh, in Hebrew that is run out of our yeshiva in Rosh Hashim, will be starting. Uh, information about that is also available on our website, and folks are welcome and encouraged to, to learn more, more about that. Uh, and again, there will be some, uh, some information on the website going out about that rather shortly. But uh, thank you again, everyone, so much for being here and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon at another class.